Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 98. We're going to shout out Leroy Yarborough. Not a whole lot of 98s out there to choose from. Not a huge, not a huge array of Hall of Fame level 98s. So we're going to go with Leroy Yarborough. Shout out NASCAR. We have an awesome show today. Uh, very special guest, Lane Kiffin, head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels. And this is Lane like you don't hear Lane very often. Uh, I asked some very different types of questions this time that were personal. And the answers were very, very revealing. And I really enjoyed this 20 or 25 minutes with Lane. You will, too. Of course, he has a unique challenge as he heads to Oxford and the SEC West to try to rebuild a program. Uh, he does have a really talented quarterback at his disposal in rising sophomore John Rice Plumley, who can run. And Lane has a penchant for creating very prolific offenses with mobile quarterbacks just like Plumley. I really look forward to hearing y'all's feedback. I want you to make sure that you let us know what you think. There's going to be some answers in this thing that you hear that make you go, what? Travis and I both did that. Uh, we're grateful for Lane's time. Before we get to our conversation with Lane Kiffin, I want to remind you guys, not sure I have to, but I'm going to do it anyway, to tune in on Sunday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. It is the next installment of The Last Dance, the amazing behind-the-scenes look at the 90s Chicago Bulls dynasty. Again, the series continues on Sunday at 9 p.m. The first two rounds were unbelievable. I could have watched all ten in a row. If ESPN would have decided to roll tape on all ten straight last Sunday night, I would have gladly been up until dawn. And after you watch those next installments of The Last Dance, make sure to tune in to the wrap-up podcast hosted by Jalen and Jacoby immediately following the broadcast. That's presented by State Farm. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Coverage is also brought to you by AT&T. This is available wherever you enjoy your podcasts, along with Marty Smith's America. And on that note, let's get to Volume 98, Leroy Yarborough edition of Marty Smith's America with Ole Miss head football coach Lane Kiffin. Buckle up. You're going to learn about this guy. It is a great pleasure to welcome my man Lane Kiffin to the Marty Smith's America podcast, of course, now the head football coach of the Ole Miss Rebels. And we're going to start in a little bit different facet. Based on social media, you seem to be in this kind of mode of maybe seeking a more spiritual experience or understanding of yourself with age. You post photos of these cool little brown cards with nuggets of information and quotes or maybe scripture printed on them. I really enjoy that, actually. How do those quotes and inspirational nuggets impact you? Well, Marty, I would like to take credit for that first off, but um, I'm not <laughs> finding those myself. It's actually Inky Johnson, who um, most of you know is the motivational speaker that played at Tennessee and career was in early and really close with Eric Berry. He was actually a GA for us at Tennessee in the one year there. And so um, stayed in contact with him over the years, come and spoke to FEU's already spoke to Ole Miss and um, 
you know, he sends me those every morning. Um, and I asked him, could I share those? You know, and he said, yeah, you know, you got this huge Twitter platform, you know, whatever, half a million followers, whatever it is that, um, that would be awesome for us to, you know, get that message out. And so, you know, he sends me those in the morning and I kind of pick from them sometimes and, and, you know, see if they have something to do with maybe old Miss football or just in general and, um, send them out there to hopefully help people. They're amazing, and that man is amazing. For those of you listening who may not know Inky's story, go find it, Inky Johnson. He's an extremely inspirational person, uh, former player himself, and uh, it's an it's an amazing inspirational story. Uh, Lane, what's the quote that you carry with you? What's the most important or impactful quote in your life? Well, I don't I don't know that I've thought about it that way, Marty. Um, I don't know. It's really a quote, but. You know, what seems to come up and, you know, just like what happened to Inky is, you know, I'm just always thinking that obstacles the way, you know, Ryan Holiday writes the book about obstacle the way um, he spoke at Alabama. And um, really, it's just at the end of the day, you know, horrible things can happen that you think at the time and, and they may be great things. You know, it's, it's how do you, you know, what do you make out of them? And so, you know, just like Inky will tell you, you know, one of his best days of his life is that injury. Well, nobody would think that, you know, his career is over. He's potentially a first round draft pick. And, you know, he says, Hey, that what seemed to be so bad ended up being so great because he got into motivational speaking, helping way more people than going to play in the NFL. Um, and so I've used that kind of in my life, whether it's, you know, the firing at USC, which thought at the end of the world when those things happened to you or thought at the time when those things happened, it's like the end of the world, you know, like you're home. Oh my gosh, my life's over. And, um, you know, I look back and say, had that never happened, I never go to Alabama. I never get the three years of learning from, you know, the greatest ever and Nick Saban and, 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 you know, growing that way and then learning new offenses and all those things from going to different places and meeting all the different people. And, you know, so, um, what can really, you know, in life, all these things happen to everyone. You think they're so bad, you just, you never know. They end up being one of the greatest things to happen to you. Why is Nick Saban the greatest ever? Because he's doing that, Marty, when in a time that's no disrespect to legendary, you know, the Bear Bryant. But it was, and my dad used to tell me, you know, it was different back then, you know. Like, my dad went to Nebraska, and he's got like 70 people in his you know, freshman class, you know, you had unlimited scholarships and these things and they played for Bob Devaney. And again, no disrespect to people in that era, but it was easier. You know, you're doing it. He's doing it in there, you know, 25 scholarships, you know, a year, 85 cap. And, you know, kids didn't leave that early back then. You know, he's losing his best players every year. And so to do it over this last 10 years, um, when it is harder than ever by far to do it, that's why I think he's the greatest of all time because, hard now you know and it's hard you see hardly anybody that's why you can't stay at the top because it's set up for you not to because of you know the cap now and and your best players leaving early when they used to be like that think about if Nick Saban could could sign 60 70 players a year I mean then what would it look like you know yeah it wouldn't be fair at all there would be nothing there would be nothing fair it already it already it already isn't a lot of times so imagine if you had 300 players who's the smartest football mind you've ever known oh that's a good one i've been around great ones um probably naturally smart would be pete carroll um you know 
he didn't have to really go learn as much from other people and things, or, you know, it wouldn't take him hours to watch film to figure something out. It was just, he could figure things out so fast and see the game so well during the game, both sides of the ball, you know, you know, he'd say things during the game that he's seen down there from the field, you know, you're going to usually, you know, there's only a few people in the world that can see the game like that, in my opinion. He also, uh, I, I've never met Coach Carroll, but he also from afar seems to be one of those guys kind of like Dabo in the way that he is completely unafraid to let go that unbridled emotion. He's willing to live the joy of the game. How accurate is that? That's a great comparison. You know, Dab was just a younger version of it. Um, Coach Carroll had fun. You know, he'd always say, like, you know, we got to do this. You know, you got one time to do it. Have fun doing it. Embrace it. Enjoy it. You know, everyone else, <clears throat> you know, almost everyone else in this profession, they just, you know, it looks like they're not really enjoying it at times, you know. And, you know, so I, I took that from him. And, you know, I think that as an assistant, you know, and I've told Sarkeesian this before, he kind of agrees, you know, we were in the, that run of 34 straight and three Heisman winners in whatever four years and almost three national championships. And we were young, and, and I don't think we really enjoyed what was going on and realized how unique it was, you know. And you know, he always said, guys, enjoy this. You know, this is, you know, this doesn't happen. I kind of, as I've been at different places, Alabama or FAU, and, you know, we were doing things that had never been done before at FAU and you know, 11 wins, two or three seasons, and try to teach the kids that, to enjoy what you're going through because it's short and it's unique. You seem to have a lot of joy when you were in uh, Boca Raton. One thing I feel like a lot of dudes battle, and I know this is a constant battle for me, and I have to remind myself all the time, your job is not your identity. Don't let what you do be who you are. At FAU, it seemed like you were able to really live freely. What's the challenge of your title not being your identity? Well, I had our FCA pastor at USC used to kept telling me, you know, you know, don't be defined by your job. You know, you're going to get in trouble someday. If your job defines who you are and that's all that you think about, you know, that's the number one thing that you think about. You're going to be in trouble when you lose or you get fired. And I was doing that, you know, um, and it really wasn't the right way to live. And so kind of going through all that stuff, it got to FAU and said, okay, you know, it's more about helping these kids, you know, and really going through these experience with us and the assistant coaches and all these things, um, you know, and helping them go through life versus just, okay, how many wins and what, you know, what are they saying? You know, you know, what's our winning percentage and, you know, it, you know, what's the view of me as a head coach. And, um, I see that now and you see people that really struggle, you know, when they lose games or, you know, things aren't going that well, all of a sudden they're totally different people. You know, it's because they're being defined, they're letting the results of the job define who they are as a human and not, you know, what they're, you know, the legacy they're leaving, the people that they're around, you know, and what are they doing for them? What led you to forego your last season of eligibility as a player to become a coach at Fresno? Uh, this guy named David Carr that ends up being the first pick of the draft. Uh, <laughs> ends up being the first pick of the draft. So our starting quarterback was Billy Volek, who had played, I think, 12 years in the NFL. 
Um, and I was behind him. I was number two. And then all of a sudden, and here comes this guy in the summer, you know, uh, you know, this guy was going to be a true freshman. He starts throwing the ball around. I'm like, all right, this dude's going to pass me up by the end of the, by the end of seven on seven of the first day. <laughs> so, uh, actually when it was my idea, I went into Jeff Tepp, who was our offensive coordinator. Pat Hill was head coach. And I, and I was always, always in the office anyway. And there's actually rules, you know, you can only be in the office so long as a player, you know, 20 hours a week. So we actually said, okay, well, if you become a student assistant, you know, even though you haven't graduated yet, you know, then you could actually, you're unlimited rules. And so I basically became a coach and sat in the press box next to Tedford on every game day, charted the defenses, you know, stayed there till midnight with him, you know, and, um, and he, there's another obstacle is the way, you know, most people say, oh, well, you gave up your last year of playing. Well, that head start that I got, you know, I got all these buddies that chased, you know, playing in the pros, went and played, you know, and, you know, the world league back then, or, you know, went to training camp and kept trying to chase it and working out. And then they get five years later, they want to start coaching. And I've already got at that point, the extra year, six years in, I'm already, you know, an assistant coach at USC and they're trying to get a, you know, their first GA job somewhere. What kind of quarterback were you? Put on your uncle Rico hat for me for a minute. What was the play, the Lane Kiffin play as a collegiate quarterback? Well, Here's a story for you, maybe little known. So we're blowing someone out. And Tedford, who won't remember this, I think it's the first time I've told this. I'm on the headset because I'm signaling the plays, you know, as the backup quarterback. And and our receiver coach says, Hey, you know, let's let's put Kiffin this one, I'm like a sophomore or something. And he said, Let's put I'm the third quarterback. He goes, Let's put Kiffin in the game. And uh I can hear on the headset he forgets I'm on. He's like I won't say exactly. She said, hell no, I ain't putting him in. He forgot that I was on there. I said, hey, thanks, coach. I'm on here. <laughs> so I, must have not, I must have not been very good. I thought I was good, but maybe I wasn't. <laughs> Speaking of being very, very good, you coached a couple total studs at Alabama that are about to enter this 2020 NFL draft in Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Jalen Hurts. Let's start with Tua. Let's break down – the special abilities that these two guys have to a first, what separates him from other quarterbacks, Lane? Probably accuracy, you know, especially down the field. Um, you know, I went out um, to Hawaii to watch him after watching him on game film and stuff and uh, watch him go through a workout. You know, and I came back and in my report, I said, you know, this guy's like a jugs machine. Like, he doesn't miss anything, especially down the field. So he just turn and whip it, you know, and 45 yards down the field and strike. Basically the last play of the national championship, you know. He's not even supposed to be throwing over there in that coverage. He's looking over to the right and just looks left at one second, chucks it right in stride. I mean, that's him. Um, so I think the down the field accuracy, really. I came back and, you know, I always try to compare players to players to paint the coaches a picture, you know, like so Coach Saban could see, okay, this is – who it is, I said, you know, this is Steve Young, you know, smooth left-hander, accurate, really can move around really well around the pocket and, you know, buy extra time. Um, and that's really who I compared him to, similar size. Jalen Hurts just has the heart of a lion. Um, why will he succeed in the NFL? Jalen's extremely competitive, you know, extremely hard to bring down, basically – He's a running back body. 
I'm not, you know, he's a quarterback, so don't take that the wrong way. But how many quarterbacks truly have a running back, middle linebacker type of body, you know, and that's his squats and his legs and all that. You know, it's really um, it's powerful, runs through tackles. And so, um, you know, I think people, you got to use him right, you know, because he can make all the throws and he can do all that. But, you know, it would to me, it would be a waste to not use his ability to move around, you know, it's a, no different than, you know, if you didn't use Lamar Jackson on some run plays and stuff, you know, that wouldn't be a very good idea. So, you know, you don't want to do too much in that league, but, you know, he can do a lot of things. If you're a GM at the top of that draft and you have the opportunity, and two is still on the board, if you're like, say, Miami and higher, I think those first four guys are pretty well solidified. But if you're if you're Miami and higher, five and up, and you're the GM, do you pass on Tua Tonga-Vailoa? I'm the GM because you always got to answer to your owner, you know, because he's going to say, well, what about this? What about that? And I would say to him, hey, you know what? If Tua's still not in and still isn't playing versus Mississippi State, you know, we might be getting the first pick of the draft with the sixth pick or whatever we're taking right now. You know, because of that, him playing, him getting hurt in that game, he doesn't. They're going to win the Iron Bowl. He's going to, they're going to slide in the slot four. They're going to play LSU. and might win a national championship. So that's the guy we're getting, you know, at this slot, which had that not happened, we'd never be touching this guy. Back to Jalen for just a second. You have this amazing penchant for taking those guys who can run the ball very well and creating these prolific offenses with them. And you have one that's pretty special with his legs there at Ole Miss and John Rice Plumley. What do you see as his potential, and, and how excited are you to get to work with a, a young man with that talent? Well, unfortunately, we haven't been able to do anything with him, you know, because of no spring ball. Now, we would have only got him so much because he was in baseball, but we would have got him some. So all I can go off is film last year, obviously extremely talented. I mean, runs faster than it looks because this guy's running away from LSU, you know, and that's not normal. So um, I remember asking Sarkeesian about him, and he said, hey, all I know is I was sitting there making adjustments during the game with our receivers and on the sidelines. And they kept looking at the Jumbotron. And he's like, what are you guys doing? They're like, Coach, this white boy can run, man. We want to watch this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of no spring ball, it's been such an unorthodox time for all of us with with the COVID pandemic and whatnot. And it's not only limited, but in a lot of ways eliminated your ability to, to have time with your guys. What's the challenge of building relationships with your players when you're not able to be with your players? Well, I mean, obviously that's a big challenge, especially for first-year coaches that barely know their players, you know, and have no on-field experience with them. So, um, you know, we've got a lot of different Zoom setups, whether it's people speaking to them on Zoom, um, like Inky did one. Um, So uh, I think we have John Gordon later this week. So, you know, that stuff. But then we have little small teams that we interact with, you know, with 10 players each and things like that that we're all in charge of. So just trying our best. For those of us who don't do it, describe recruiting. It seems like the most relentless, ceaseless, impossible (laughs) mission that there could possibly be. Describe recruiting. Well, especially in the SEC. You know, it's a whole other animal. And so I remember coming to the SEC and, you know, 
studying it and have people that want and the balance of staffs and everything. And, you know, coming from USC, you know, I always thought we kind of, you know, were maybe half and half with the staff, you know, half the guys, you know, really good X and O's, new ideas, half the guys recruiters, you know, and then both did both, all did both, but, you know, your breakdown. And then I got to the SEC and you've got to be balanced. I'm so far recruiting or, you know, you don't have any chance, you know, I don't care what plays you draw up. You in the SEC, you don't got players, ain't going to work. You know, you just got too many mismatches. It's not like the other conferences. You know, the defenses are too good. So you've got to have great players. So, you know, now the balance is much more, you know, if there's 10 coaches, maybe seven, seven recruiters and three scheme guys, you know. So you got to have those guys that, that are on the phone every day, every night. You know, it's not – it used to be, you know, one call a week, you know, you know, it was, was enough. And nowadays kids need attention. And because of social media, you know, it is 365 days for these guys. What's the, what's the one player that you had to work the hardest to land? And once you got him, it was a, a generational type of difference for a program. Um, Reggie Bush, he was going to go to Notre Dame and out of San Diego and, we had just, you know, kind of started winning there at USC. And um, he comes to the game, I believe. We're playing Notre Dame in the Coliseum, I believe. And, you know, we kind of blow him out. And, um, you know, we keep working. We turn Reggie, and Reggie comes to USC instead of Notre Dame. And I always look back at that. It's like, all right, if you're going to have a great run, like those 34 straight wins, you have to have a unique player to me. Most all those teams, unless you're just so dominant on defense, it doesn't matter. But most of the time there's a great run. There's a unique player that saves you, you know, one or two times a year when you're not playing really good, like up at Oregon State and Fog and not playing really good and Reggie's going to just catch a punt and go outrun everybody, you know, and save you. And I always think, what if Reggie goes to Notre Dame? What happens with the USC-Notre Dame balance that when Reggie comes there, it continues the USC dominance over Notre Dame under Pete Carroll? Where, if I recall, I don't think he ever lost to them after that. You know, the first year we lost, but after that, I don't think he ever lost to them. And um, what would it look like? You know, so once again, that's how important recruiting is, but also how important winning is. Because at that game he was at, I believe Carson Palmer lit it up, you know, um, and I think went on to win the Heisman, if, I'm, if I recall the, the year. Is Reggie Bush the best college player you've ever seen? He's up there. Um, probably is. I mean, you know, now people will say he didn't play in the SEC. He played in the Pac-10 at the time. So that may be the only argument because the defense is, you know, difference. But, you know, to change a game, I mean, we have a game he had, what, 538 yards or something like that in a close mm-hmm. game, you know, versus Fresno State in the Coliseum. Five, 530 or something. One player. I mean, <laughs> who does that? Reggie Bush does. That dude, freak, just a freak. He he really was so twitchy. Uh, a couple more and I'll get you out of here. I know you got a, a lot to do. What do you and Mike Leach bring to an already stacked SEC in terms of the, the quality of coaches and the personalities of the coaches and the resumes of the coaches to the SEC and to the Egg Bowl rivalry? More Twitter followers. <laughs> that's for sure 
I guarantee we, the two of us probably have more Twitter followers than everyone else combined. Um, I mean, he, he just wins, you know, wherever he's been, he wins and he lights it up, you know, with whatever quarterback it is, next one gets, gets hurt. Next one comes in and he's just done an unbelievable job, you know, and hasn't been at, you know, marquee places, you know, top 20 programs doing it. So, um, he's, he's a great coach and, and a great mind offensively. So, um, I think it probably brings a lot of attention to the rivalry too. How often do you worry? I wouldn't classify myself as a warrior. So, I mean, you always have concerns in life about things and, you know, your children, all those things. But um, I, I wouldn't say I'm really a warrior. You know, just with this corona thing, everybody wants to talk every day about when are we coming back, when are we coming back, and time this and all that. It's out of our control. You know, we don't control the deadline. You know, control. You know, corona controls the deadline. So worry about what you can control. I like that. That's very true. And uh, so the last thing, I'm reading this book right now about legends in golf and, and specifically at the Masters called Men in Green about Palmer and Nicholas and those guys. And there's this question in there that has captivated me, made me consider my own life. And I'm going to ask it of you. When were you happiest? It's going to sound crazy. Probably Tennessee, you know, um, there was so much excitement there. You know, you're so young, you know, and I think when you're young, talk about not worrying. When you're young, you really don't worry. You know, you're just living in the moment and, you know, excited to be a head coach in the SEC at whatever, I don't know, 33 or something like that. And um, had a great staff at Ogeron, you know, my dad, Eddie Grand, Frank Wilson, you know, all these, all these guys. And, um, you know, it just was really a cool time. And, you know, they'd been down a little bit, you know, for a few years there. And so everyone was just excited and had some great players like Eric Berry. And it was just a really cool year. Had signed a top 10 recruiting class, number one player in the country in Bryce Brown. And so I look back and say, you know what? You know, kids were super little. Knox was just born. Um, it was pretty cool. I, I would have, I don't know what I knew, what, what I thought your answer was going to be, but that one got me. Um, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I, I would have thought that until you answered it. So, um, well, I appreciate you, man. came to mind. I, uh, I can't wait to see you again and kick footballs off and, and gather together and spend that time because I have been recalibrated and reminded of just how special it is to be together on fall Saturdays in the South. So I can't wait to see you, brother. Thank you for your time, and stay safe. All right, man, you too. Appreciate your time. Thanks. I never would have dreamed. Uh, look, man, uh, Lane's time at Tennessee was brief. Lane's time at Tennessee was very polarizing. Lane's time at Tennessee was controversial. For Lane to say that the happiest he's ever been was at the University of Tennessee, I'll be honest, I'm a little surprised. But I can totally see why he feels that way. And what he said as his reasoning was telling to me, he was a young man, 33 years old. He has very young children, and there's a very sweet emotion that comes with that time of life. As your children age, and they're aging right there with you. You're aging at the same time. And so 
them in that moment is the them that you know in that moment. And sometimes you forget how sweet those those small little people were and the way that they spoke and the things that they said and what they thought was interesting and cool and how they dressed and their little teeth and the holes in their face when they lost those teeth. All of those things are such sweet emotions. And so, I, I again, I find it interesting that that was his answer, but I can totally see why he felt that way. I really appreciate that guy. I've had some tremendous conversations with him over the years, and I always learn. I loved it that he said that the best football coach in the history of college football is his former boss, Nick Saban. I agree with him, and I agree with why. This tenure, this era of college football is the most competitive. There is more parity than there's ever been, despite the fact that it seems like the same four, five, six programs always end up in the college football playoff. There is a ton of parity. You can find great players in almost every program across the country. And so for Saban to have this sustained excellence, I agree 100% with Lane's assessment. The greatest football mind being Pete Carroll was interesting to me. And I also enjoyed the learning that my inclination, that that unbridled passion and enthusiasm and joy that you see in Pete Carroll when he's coaching the game, which reminds me of Dabo. Lane said that he felt like that was a good comparison. So uh, that's one thing about Dabo that I admire more than anything else. He said it to me after Kelly Bryant left his program. I went down to Clemson, and I had a chat with Dabo about Kelly leaving the program, and he said to me, no one steals my joy. Do not let anyone steal your joy. And I found that to be so telling. I carry that with me every day. I I just told my daughter that the other night. Your joy is your decision. Your joy is a self-produced emotion. And so often in this life, we let so many extraneous external variables impact our joy. And so I find it beautiful that those individuals who are centered in a unique way that don't aren't beholden to all those outside voices like Tim Tebow, like Dabo Sweeney, that really inspires me. I wish I was more like that. And sometimes I am. Sometimes I am. So thanks so much to Lane. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you guys did. Please send us feedback. We want some feedback. We haven't gotten enough feedback from you guys recently. And I will say this to you. Those of you who have offered that feedback to me, whether that's private messages on Instagram, whether that's responses on Twitter, I get more, I get more feedback about Marty Smith's America in private messages on Instagram than anywhere. And so thank you for those of you who send it. It means so much to us. And it means so much to me that the conversations that we have hit you guys the way they do. Let us know. At Marty Smith ESPN on both Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe, rate, and review on all of your podcast platforms and let us know what you think. Travis is always looking at that feedback. So y'all may be wondering why you're not, you haven't heard from Travis. Uh, the reason you haven't heard from Travis is because his internet is basically the first internet ever created. I think that he, uh, I think Travis has to plug his phone into the wall and dial up to AOL. I think, can you hear me now? I did actually plug my computer into the internet. Can you hear me now? Yes, you sound very good now. That's a great thing. Um, Travis got a gift this week. 
that bears discussion. So uh, I was at home, and I get a text from my dear friends at Jack Daniels, and that's not unorthodox. I talk to my friends at Jack Daniels often. Um, I have a great relationship with the company, and I've had a great relationship with the company since 2004. I have been a squire, which means that I am I own a plot of land at the Jack Daniels Distillery in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Now, that plot of land is basically one foot by one foot by one foot by one foot. And it's not a lot of land, but I own some land. I'm a squire, they call it, a Jack Daniels, Tennessee squire. So I hear from my friends at Jack, and they were so excited that Travis mentioned the Chase Rice concert on Instagram. And they've done... A couple of concerts now, acoustic shows on Instagram Live, with with one with Chase Rice, which was the one that Travis mentioned, and then they did a subsequent one with Ashley McBride um, of Dahlonega and uh, Bible and a 44 fame. A, a lot of people might not know her, but man, she's got some pipes. She can go, bro. Oh. You want to know who believed in her first? Like really believe, believed in her? I believe his name is uh, Eric. Well, it's actually John Peets. John Peets is Eric's manager, and John Peets is the smartest person I've ever met in my life. I'm, and, and I'm not. That's not. A, I'm, that's not hyperbole. That's. I'm not. I'm not like trying to be funny. The the smartest, most forward thinking person I've ever met. The most creative mind. I always tell John he's playing chess, and everybody else is playing checkers. So. Uh, John Peets was also the person that heard Brothers Osborne when everybody else was like, yeah, that doesn't really work in this town. And John went, I'm in. That he heard Ashley, I'm in. So he he's very, 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 very smart. So, so long story short, Jack Daniels does a concert with Chase Rice on Instagram Live. And Travis watched it. Well, he watched it on the wrong day, but he watched it. And he told the story, and it was funny, and we we laughed about it. And my friends at Jack Daniels appreciated that he took the time to watch. And they said, we would like to send Travis a thank you gift. And I said, well, hell yeah, let's send Travis a thank you gift. So I went on a covert mission. I asked Travis what his address was. And Travis, I'll let you take it from there. What happened? Yeah, you text me. You asked me what my address is, and I didn't think anything of it. And then... I'm sitting here, and I just got a knock on my door. And, like, I don't have get a ton of visitors over here. It's a guy who's got a mask on and, a, like, a giant brown paper sack. It looks like it's a food delivery guy. And I'm like, I, I think I got the wrong address. And he immediately starts looking at his phone, and he says my address. I'm like, yeah. He goes, are you Travis? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I didn't order anything. And he goes, it's from Jack Daniels. And I instantly go, <laughs> instantly in my head, I'm like, Marty sent me Jack Daniels. It's a <laughs> giant bottle of uh, old number seven and then small, uh, three small uh, apple, honey, and fire that I got sent. And I, I thought it was from you, cause you and I thanked you, and I haven't heard anything since then, and apparently it's not from you. I thank you, Jack Daniels. The reason that I did not write back is I did not want to – I wanted you to find out that it was from them uh, on here. And so uh, I'm glad it's well deserved. It's earned, and that's awesome. And the um, that the old number seven is been putting a dent in that this week. Yeah, you should. I mean, it's God's water, son. It's the truth. It's uh, 
look, you know it's in my family lineage, man. And if y'all don't know that story, you need to get my book, Never Settle. I wrote, I put the whole story in there about Dan Call, my great-great-grandfather. I have, actually it's three greats, I think. I don't remember how many greats. I always forget. But I do know that at the time that Never Settle published, I had not, I even wrote in the pages of the book. I've not gone on any uh, ancestry sites. I've not paid the $65 to go find out. Well, my cousins did. And they sent me a screen grab of proof from Ancestry.com or one of those. I think it's Ancestry.com that there he is, Dan Call. And my grandfather, James Cameron Massey, was the preacher man in George Patton's Third Army, and he never told a lie. And he told us that story. He was so proud of that story. And if he thought he was proud, he don't know proud. I'm like, you can't be prouder than I am about that. People also need to go back then and they enjoy that. Listen to when we had Jeff Arnett on. Oh, man. You know, I appreciate it. I appreciate why Jack Daniel wound up with the Jack Daniels distillery. But, man, can you imagine? I wouldn't be talking to you right now. You'd own more than a one. (laughs) You'd own more more than one square foot of uh, property. You'd be more than a squire. A lot more than one square foot of property, son. But at least you got that property. That's all the time we have right now. Thank you so much to all of the doctors, all of the nurses, all of the EMTs and first responders out there who are working so tirelessly to help so many people who are suffering. I am currently doing a series of features for ESPN on a lot of former athletes who are on the front lines. They will be coming out very soon, and I can't wait for you guys to see them. They have inspired me so much to the brink of tears, to the point of tears in some cases. Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials, our firemen who are out there still doing their jobs. They're going into these homes. They are they are helping people in a time of great uncertainty. So thank you guys. And to our military all over the world, thank you for your sacrifice every day. That's Marty Smith's America. Thank you to Lane Kiffin. Appreciate your time so much. Can't wait to see him soon when we're kicking off footballs again. That's the Leroy Yarborough edition, volume 98 of Marty Smith's America. Thank you all for listening. Be well. Stay safe.